Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, you can turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Apparently this table was full of Zika virus today, so I'll set my coffee table, or coffee cup right there. So uh, March Madness has just concluded, and it, it was a pretty mad March Madness. The state of Tennessee made history as we proved that a Blue Raider could beat a Spartan. And all across the country, people started asking, what's a Blue Raider? (laughs) And Middle Tennessee threw out everybody's basketball brackets after they beat Michigan State. And then yesterday, I watched, I don't know if y'all watched this or not, the Golden State Warriors. So Seth Curry, I gotta set this up, man. If you if you like basketball, I'm from Memphis, so we like basketball in Memphis. Seth Curry set a record, 400 three points. All right, 400 three pointers. He breaks the record himself this year, this season, by setting a new record of 402 three-pointers. And his team set a new NBA record of 73 season wins. I mean, this guy, you give him the ball, he's going to do something with it. It was amazing watching him. He never stopped. You just throw the ball to him. He catches it, and in one motion, he throws it up, and it looks just like me on TV. He makes it. Nothing but net. (laughs) Yeah, or I just don't have time to do the NBA thing, but but uh, too much travel. But uh, you know, he called me, and I, I told him he's doing a good job. And uh, but but the ball, you give him the ball, he's going to do something with it. Well, in John chapter three, we see a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and uh, Jesus, kind of in uh, first century language, is telling Nicodemus, "Hey, man." The ball is in your court. So if you have the notes that I prepared, uh, some blanks there, you can start looking at those. And I titled uh, today's Sunday School lesson, The Ball is in Your Court. So we're going to pick up in this conversation in verse 13 between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we're going to see Jesus discuss how the ball is in your court, Nicodemus, and go through several things that will play out not only the rest of the the life, the earthly ministry of Jesus, but even after His resurrection. So we pick up in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now this is Jesus speaking, okay? Just clarify that. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, and that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And we learn in John chapter 3 verse 1 that Nicodemus, the guy that Jesus is speaking with, he's a Pharisee. And for those of you, most of you probably know what a Pharisee is, but for those of you who, who do not, a Pharisee is a title held by Jewish scholars, religious scholars. Okay, He was a, a scholar in the Jewish community. And these guys were smart. Now they knew more about the Bible than I did, or that, than I do, and they, knew, they know more about the Bible than you know. They had pretty much memorized the entire Old Testament. Now, that's a pretty daunting task. We just recited Galatians, right? <laughs> and they're sitting up there reciting Leviticus. Could you imagine, <laughs> imagine how exciting that was, would be for them to learn that? So these guys, they were smart. And the ball was in their court when it came to the Jewish community. They had the people's respect. They had the authority. They had a position of leadership and a position of opportunity. But unfortunately, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. And we see that throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, the constant conflict these religious leaders had with the teaching of Jesus as He was simply teaching the Old Testament that they had memorized. They are the people that they get a car and they, they clean the car. And they, they put a nice coat of wax on it. And the wheels, you know, they're looking great. And the leather's clean, and it's got that new car smell, and everything's good. But they forget to put gas in it. <laughs> they forget to put the oil in it. The Pharisees had forgotten the main thing. Now, they wanted to share their knowledge with the Jewish people, with their people, with their brothers and their sisters, their community. But the Jewish people... They had a crisis of leadership because the Pharisees were wanting to just share their knowledge and the Jewish community was needing not just knowledge, they were needing love. They were needing their people in authority to give them love. Their leaders were hung up on enforcing rules and making more rules. And we see that through the earthly ministry of Christ. Have you ever worked for a company like that that's hung up on rules and making more rules? So I have worked for a company like that. Most of you have probably worked for a company like that. You know, often it's sad 
an employee might get sick who's been a good employee and something happens and the next thing you know, the letter's in the mail, the meeting has been scheduled, the phone call has been received and your services are no longer needed. Uh, that's corporate America. That is how a lot of companies operate. For those of us that are in leadership, like the Pharisees were in leadership, you know, we look at them and it's a constant reminder for us that the ball is in our court if we are in a position of authority. The Pharisees are a constant reminder for us to not, not forget our people that we have under us. Now we can have all the knowledge and wisdom of our company and all of what we need to know and operate, but the greatest resource a company has and the greatest resource you have if you're a leader is your people under you. And it's a constant reminder for us not to forget them. That's what builds us up. That's our foundation as a company or in, in the position that you may be in. So we are in a constant reminder to get into the, the motion of getting to know our people. Even if you're at home, even in your home, okay, what are you doing there that will help you be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother? Are we forgetting, sometimes are we forgetting to just pause Take a moment and figure out what's going on with our people. Certainly there's a standard to be met, but the failure of a standard, there, there could be a reason. Even if the reason's unexcusable, there is a reason. There's a cause and effect to everything. So are we taking the time to learn that cause and effect? The Pharisees did not care about that. The Pharisees set the rules. They set the standards. They wanted their people to abide by them. There's an old saying, but it's so true for millennials, uh, the current, my generation. Uh, we don't know, we don't care what you know until we know that you care. Pharisees, they didn't care about that. <laughs> the Pharisees, that, they just wanted you to know what they knew. That was it. Hey folks, we live in a world that wants to know that we care. And sometimes the church or sometimes maybe in your place of employment or maybe in your home or maybe in an organization you're in, we need to remember they need to know that we care. Sometimes we're too busy letting everybody know how to dot the I and cross the T. We, they need to know that we just love them. You know, it's not our job to clean anybody up here at the church. And sometimes we get that reputation. Now, I'm not talking about just this specific church, you understand. I'm talking about the church in America. You know, a lot of people, we live here in the South. A lot of people believe in God. They'll tell you that, right? They'll fight you over God and their mama. But they don't come to church because they've given up on church. Because they're looking at all the rules that they have to be conformed to. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were telling everybody what they had to be, how they had to do. The people were just needing their people to love on them, their leaders to love on them. We need to go out in the community and love on people. So do you care? Did the Pharisees care? Well, did, the, did some of the Pharisees know that there was a problem? And we think 
That's a possibility. Because if you read early in chapter 3, you find out Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He didn't come during the day. He came at night. And he uses a term, uh, we. He says here in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So first off, Nicodemus shows a sign of respect to Jesus by calling him a rabbi. And we're unsure if he's alone, but he says, we. So there could be a possibility that there was a a group of Pharisees that saw there was a problem, and they saw this teaching and the signs that were occurring from Jesus, and they wanted to know more, but we can't do that in the public. So they come at night, and they meet with Christ. They were seekers. Perhaps that's you today. You're a religious person, but perhaps you're close to giving up on organized religion. Uh, You're kind of thinking maybe this thing that we do isn't isn't worth it. Uh, We've gotten the wrong picture. You know what? Sometimes we have. You're a seeker because you're thinking that Christ, there's somewhere in this religious this religious life that Jesus fits into, but there may be more than just Jesus. There might be other ways. Or you're thinking there is something more than what we do here, and so you've not fully committed to this message called the gospel of Jesus, and you're seeking, and that's okay. Christ wants you to seek. He's put that desire in your heart to seek Him, and He's willing and able to meet that, to meet that need. He wants you to seek, and He wants you to ask those questions. That's sort of where Nicodemus was at. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night asking these questions. As a Jewish leader, he was kind of taken back by what Jesus said. First off, uh, Jesus is calling Himself the Messiah promised by God. (laughs) So why in the world would He say He's going to be lifted up as a serpent like like Moses was lifted up? Well, what does that that mean? Uh, What did Jesus mean by saying that God gave His only Son? Gave? Gave how? Gave. Now that, that leads us to the most recognized verse in all the Bible, right? John 3.16. Everybody knows that verse without question. It is the most recognized in all of Scripture. Its simplicity allows children to understand it and memorize it. And yet its profound impact on the world as well as individual lives challenge the greatest of thinkers. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus uses the term world. Now, what in the world did Jesus mean when He said world? That's a good question. Nicodemus wasn't concerned that the Messiah was going to save the world. For Nicodemus, the Messiah was to be the rescuer of the Jewish people. The Messiah would judge the world. He would restore the Jewish people to their glory. So Nicodemus, you know, he cleans his ears out and he scratches his head. Jesus, did did you just say that the Messiah 
had come in to save the world? What you meant to say was the Messiah had come to save, save God's chosen people, the Jewish people. No, no, Nicodemus. God's going to save the world. For Nicodemus, the problem wasn't the world needing to be reconciled with God. The problem was the Jewish people being under Roman rule. The problem was the Jewish people being oppressed. And Jesus is saying the Messiah is for the world, the whole world, not just a group of people, not just a small group of people. And this coming of the Messiah is not to establish a ruling kingdom, but to reconcile people to God. God loved the world, not just the Jewish people, but the world. And because of that love, He gave no charge. Hey, Nicodemus, no temple tax. No dotting the I, no crossing the T to get it. But He freely gave His Son. God didn't send another prophet to reconcile the world with Him. God put chips on the table. He bought stock in the company. He put something extremely special to Him. He sacrificed His own Son. So amazing that that would happen. That holy God would save a reprobate sinners. And that only means, and that the only means to, to reconcile these sinners was to sacrifice his son. In fact, some scholars look at John 3:16 and they say, you know, it may not even be Jesus speaking here. That might be John. That might be John writing a commentary here in 3.16. Because if you read 3.15, it ends with Jesus saying this. It says that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. That's the words of Jesus. And some scholars say that John may have paused here and said, just think about that, people. Think about that. Jesus just said you can have eternal life. It was so amazing to him that John could be writing, look, people, it's like this. God loved the world. God loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. John is saying it's so simple, yet it's so profound. So do you feel like John? If you have come to believe this gospel message, do you ever feel like John, that the knowledge of God's love so mind-blowing to you that you just have to say it to somebody? Do you have the understanding that Jesus really was talking about things that impact people's eternity, impacts people's forever? We have Jesus basically saying, you know, if you choose to believe you'll have eternal life, heaven, right? If you choose not to believe, you will not have eternal life in heaven, but hell. So are we teetering between heaven and hell solely on our work, on our work-based decision? So let's find a couple of Scriptures here. Somebody find 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and then turn to Romans 8. I didn't give a verse, did I, in Romans 8? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1.30. Or as we say in 2016, 1 Corinthians. 
whatever your perspective may be. <clears throat> Anybody got it? Shoot it. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Go to 31 too. Sorry. So that, as it is written, let the one who loves boast in the Lord. Mm. All right, anybody on Romans 8? Let's read 8, 28 through 30. 28 through 30. Anybody got it? Rock and roll. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be formed of the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Romans 8.1. Anybody got it? I got it. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set free from the law of sin and death. Hmm. So that's Paul's writing. And we're hearing Jesus say here to Nicodemus, you know, whoever would believe. Whoever would believe. The question of the world is that God is saying salvation's not come just to the Jewish people. It's come to all nations. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter your birthright. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. What community you're from. It's come to all nations. All races will come and be reconciled to God. So, he says, whoever will believe. Well, who will believe? Those who, as Paul writes, whom He has called. He, see, He's predestined. If you believe us, if you believe that you're in the church, you believe the gospel, God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's not going to leave you where you're at. He's not called you to say, I believe in the gospel and I'm going to live the life just like I'm living always. He's called you to look like Christ. He's not going to leave us, as Jesus in one analogy would say, in the pig pen, like a prodigal son. He's called you. He's already, before the foundation of the world, predestined you as a believer to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's going to make you look like His Son. not going to leave you like this. That's good news. That's amazing news. That holy God would take a sinner and say, I'm going to make you look like Jesus. I'm going to make you look like My Son. I'm going to clean you up. I want to reconcile you with Me. Isaiah stood before the throne of God, right? And he said, I... Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and yet here I am in front of holy God. And God sent an angel to touch him, purify him. He has sent Christ to touch us. He has sent the Spirit to touch us that we can come before holy God. He's predestined us to be conformed to His 
image. Is it us that gets us there? No. No, it's certainly not. As he writes, uh, Paul writes in Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's called His people. And He's called you to come to Him. If you come to Him, it's because the Spirit of God has called you, convicted you of your sin, showed you that you are in need of Christ. And those who are in Christ have no condemnation. Think of that. That even though we can be saved, we still live in this world. And I don't know about you, but I still sin. And I still have struggles. But there's no condemnation for me because in the eyes of God, I have been saved, I have been sanctified, I've been justified, I'll be glorified. I have been reconciled with God because of the sacrifice of Christ. There is now, right now, not in the future, not once I die and go to heaven, but right now there is no condemnation between me and God because of the work of Christ Jesus. So if there's no condemnation between those of us that are believers, that must mean that there is condemnation between those who have chosen to reject Christ. There is condemnation. Penn Jillette, you know who that is? Penn and Teller? He's a devout atheist, by the way. He is a strong atheist. He says this. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, then you, if you think that, that's not really worth, and you think that's not really worth telling them because it would be socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. That's an atheist speaking. We understand that God loved the world. We're witness of that here in this very room. That we're not just the Jewish community. God has loved the world. We're called to go into that world. And we're called to share that love. Now that was breaking news to Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. That was, that was like... A, uh, that was like Dan Rather coming on breaking news. I mean, that was Walter Cronkite kind of stuff. All right? That we would actually go into the world and share that. Verses 13 and 15, Jesus is pointing to the sacrifice which is to come. Nicodemus didn't quite understand what's going on. What do you mean sacrifice? The Messiah is not to be a sacrifice. He says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what's he saying? He's actually going back, and I don't have time to read it because y'all are listening too slow, but Numbers 21, <laughs> Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9, Moses is directed by God to lift up the serpent in the wilderness. And those who were snake-bitten looked at the serpent and they got healed. Now, that took some faith because this fat boy ain't looking at a serpent. I'm heading the other direction. 
I saw one in the road the other day, and I thought I was going to wreck. I don't, <laughs> I don't play around with snakes. That's something I don't do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they don't have legs, and I do, and that meant God wants me to go the opposite direction. That's the way I look at it. That was, uh, <laughs> that's some predestination stuff right there. <laughs> Nicodemus was aware of what Jesus was speaking of when he said that Moses, uh, like Moses, I'll be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. He was speaking of salvation. But for Nicodemus, it wasn't a question about salvation. He knew the Jewish people would get salvation through the Messiah. It was what kind of salvation? That was the question. See, Jesus is saying that this salvation is different from just a Messiah coming and setting up a ruling kingdom on this earth at this moment, Nicodemus, and kicking the Romans out and making them submit to all the Jewish people. That's not the message of the Old Testament as you've come to understand it. Nicodemus was looking at the right now fix. Much like atheists and religious philosophies that downplay Jesus, they're looking at the right now. We look at the now moment, but God's plans are eternal. Now what does that, what does that mean? We, that's a religious statement, a spiritual statement. God's plans are eternal. What's it mean? Well, let's put it like this. If my tire is flat, because Jim Fleming cut it when, you know, or something like that, I go out there and it's flat... And I put fix-a-flat in it. It fixes it, right? The tire's fixed. There's no question about it. It's fixed right now. But it's not forever fixed. I've still got a problem. God's plans are eternal. Why fix the right now when we can fix the eternal? God was looking at that, at that moment. Nicodemus wasn't. Nicodemus was looking at the right now. God's plan was to display His justice by forever conquering sin and his, display His love by saving those who would call upon Him to be saved. The ball was in God's court. We could not cleanse ourselves. We could not reconcile ourselves to God. The Messiah would be sacrificed. We are deserving a hell and separation from the goodness of God, except that God's goodness and salvation is displayed as Paul writes in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We ask questions like, would God only save a chosen people? Well, the whole Old Testament is about God saving a chosen people for one. The whole Old Testament is about God choosing to use whom He chooses to use. Sometimes we ask a question, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Hmm. It's very true that God is love, but God is just. And our sin is our fault and not God's. When you begin discussing why someone is an atheist... It eventually boils down to God not doing or being what they want. To them, if God exists, then everything He allowed to occur should be to the person's liking, and therefore, that is a loving God. Well, who's the God in that scenario? So if we ask the question, if we ask any question, it should be a question that Stuart Townsend asked. 
who, by the way, is not an old man. <laughs> Stuart Townsend wrote a song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. That's the question to ask. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. While wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there till it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Mm. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection. It's not that I chose God, it's that God sent a sacrifice. It's not that I'm better than anyone, it's that God saw a sinner. It's not that I am so wise that one day I woke up and said, I think I'm going to believe in this message called the gospel. It's that God woke a dead man's heart up and said, come on to me. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. Mm. We have been saved from the judgment of God because Christ took our judgment. Verses 16 through 21, Jesus is pointing to judgment. He's pointing to the judgment which is to come. Verses 19 says, And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now does that mean that anyone that's not a Christian is a bad person? No, not in the world's eyes. Absolutely not. But it does mean that we are accountable for our sin and it does mean we are responsible for our sin. D.A. Carson, the great theologian, who's also still alive, says this. He says, God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. Do you feel God calling you to know Him? Do you desire to know God? Are you curious? Are you a seeker that we spoke of earlier? Well, you are here today and your action is now. The ball is in your court. What will you do with Christ? What will you do with Christ? Jesus is calling you to Him. Verse 20, Jesus says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. The ball is in our court. We are all sinners except God's goodness and salvation is displayed that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The ball is in our court to seek God. The ball is in our court to respond to the calling of God. If you love God, our life will show it. If we love God, our life will show that. If we honor our Savior, our life will show that. Understand the ball is in our court not only because 
but only, it is in our court only because God has placed the ball in our court. He and His sovereignty has placed it in our court. It is not by our works. It is not by walking an aisle or repeating some kind of a prayer. It's not by giving money to the church. It's not by being a good person in the eyes of society. It is the actions of Christ, Christ alone. I'll leave you with this. Last thing, I've tried to memorize these powerful words, I think. And it is the core message of the church that we are in salvation. We are reconciled with God because of Christ and Christ alone. When I fly off this mortal earth and I'm measured up by depth and girth, the Father says, now what's He worth? May He see Jesus death and birth. Don't measure me by dollar signs or brick and mortars you may find. By Christ alone will I set, will I be found worthy of that golden crown. The value of this life I now live, how did I love, did I forgive? Where did my treasure truly lay? How did I start and end each day? Don't measure me by battles won, by some good deed that I have done. In Christ alone will I be found worthy of that golden crown. Maybe a pauper or a king have nothing or have everything. The question begs, do you belong? Do you sing a resurrection song? Measured by the Master's hand, only one truth can we stand. By Christ and Christ alone will we be found worthy of that golden crown. By Christ and Christ alone. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son that if you believe in Him, you will not perish. You will have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for the Spirit that comes to us and calls us. That convicts us, shows us our sin, but shows us a Savior. We pray, Father, for the service. We pray for our pastor as he brings the Word. We pray that people would feel the Spirit and respond. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll lean into the center of your table, you'll see our weekly notes. Prayer request, if you would, sign uh, your name and your weekly attendance and any prayer request that you may have. Pray with your table and you'll be dismissed.